Amen. Acts chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, you'll see the words on the screen, or there might be a Bible there in the seat back in front of you. There should be. Acts chapter 8. We, we made it back from the men's retreat to Falls Creek this weekend, and uh, it's a good time of worship and fellowship. We also uh, got to eat a little bit of food, and uh, Seth Benson introduced us to uh, Burgerland, Burgerland in, in Davis. Uh, it's known for its breakfast, though. It's called Burgerland, but it, we went there for its breakfast, and man, it was good. It was, it was, it was um, true to the hype. And so if you're passing through Davis this summer or at any time, I encourage you to stop in there. They were great. Um, we, we've got today in this series, we've got next week, and then uh, we'll take a break for Mother's Day, and then we'll start the book of James uh, right after Mother's Day on the 21st. And so I encourage you to go forward, read the book of James, begin to pray over it, walk through it. That's going to be our summer summer series um, on Sunday mornings, um, but we, we still got two weeks left of Encounters with Jesus, Discipling the Modern Self. So Acts chapter 8, this, uh, this guy you're seeing here on the screen, this is Kabi Lameh, Kabi Lameh. He was born in Senegal in West Africa in March of 2000. He's about 23 years old, or he is 23 years old now, and he grew up with not a whole lot. In fact, his family moved to a public housing complex in Italy when he was only a one-year-old. Um, their goal was to search for something better, more possibilities, more chances of getting out of the situation they were in. And so Lamey studied in Italian schools until he was 14. At 14, his parents decided it was best to send him back to Africa for school. Well, eventually he graduated and he began to work as a machine operator at a factory. But then March 2020 hit, and we know what happened in March 2020. The world shut down. So LaMay was laid off. He lost his job. So he had nothing. Hit rock bottom. So what did he do? He did what a lot of us do. He turned to TikTok. He turned to social media. And he began posting videos. Uh, not a lot of us turn to TikTok. I know some do, but... Um, Anyways, the youth, you know, whatever. Um, but his early videos showed him dancing and watching video games. That was his early videos. That's all it was about three years ago. But then, and this is how he rose to popularity, he began, began making video responses to other videos that were depicting complicated life hacks. And so he would then, in his videos, perform the same complicated life hack but do it in a very simple way, and he would do it without talking. And he was trying to show, almost mocking those other videos and showing how easy it really is. And this is what basically grew his popularity. So he's been on there for a few years, three years or so. LaMay now has something around 160 million followers. 160 million followers. Like, that is mind-boggling to me and his videos rack up hundreds and hundreds or have racked up hundreds and hundreds of millions of views all across the world he is now just in a matter of three years worth millions of dollars and he can depending on how many views he gets for the video he can rake in up to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more per video Kabila May is what we would call a TikTok star. 
a sensation, a social media celebrity. He's also what we call an influencer. A social media influencer. He's one who has established himself as credible, at least in this category. He's authentic. He's trustworthy, at least according to his followers. And he's one who produces professional-esque content. And he has garnered a large audience on various platforms. And he's a big reason or an example to why so many now, especially middle school and high school, want to be an influencer. But ultimately, what influencers are after are followers. That's what they want. More and more followers. They're like marketing companies competing for people's attention. Competing for your attention. Look at me. Listen to me. Follow me. Doesn't matter the category. Doesn't matter the person, the context. That this is ultimately what they're after is followers. Look at me. Listen to me. Follow me. Why? Because the more they create, build, and expand their platform via videos and posts, to podcasts and books, to appearances and speaking engagements, then the more the greatness, the more the power, the more the money, the more people will know their name. And the more magical the person, the more magical the platform, the better, the richer, the greater, the more powerful they will be. And so we live in this cultural moment in which LaMay, who was born in 2000, it was impossible to imagine. A cultural moment in which you can make a living simply off selling yourself. Your videos, your opinions, your appearance, you can make money and lots of it simply by selling yourself. We live in a world, a cultural moment that has opened up new, real, accessible possibilities for the modern self to be involved in what Mark Sayers would call the entrepreneur of the self. This idea has been there for some time for athletes and celebrities who create their own brands. Think of Tiger Woods. Think of Michael Jordan. They create their own brands. They sell their name. That's in essence what they're doing. They're, they're making money off of their image, their name, their self, right? This is a big deal now in college football and collegiate sports. But now in the cultural moment in which you and I live in, the modern self, anyone, anyone can do this now. You just need the right magical personality, the right magical platform. The kind of magic at the right time, and voila, like magic, you can become a great one. Where everyone is fixated on you, what you're saying, what you're doing, where you're going, what you're eating, who you're dressed in, from the least to the greatest, even from the leaders of the free world sitting down with them, fixated on them. Thus, masses amounts of people, this has even bled into the church with many pastors, local churches, but now the masses, so many are seeking consciously or subconsciously to sell themselves to some unnamed, unseen machine, seeking to use whatever magic at their disposal in order to try and get people fixated on them. Look at me, listen to me, follow me. So that perhaps they might call me 
a great one. The entrepreneur of the self. And this right here is dangerous for the Christian. Because what it does is it compels us to take our eyes off of Jesus and back onto self. It's dangerous for the unbeliever because it keeps their eyes off of Jesus and on themselves. And the entrepreneur of the self can be so damaging to Christian discipleship, to the Christian church in the Western world, because it'll keep people ultimately trapped in bitterness, but also trapped in iniquity. And what's remarkable is that, yes, while there are new possibilities for the entrepreneur of the self, like social media, almost unlike any other time in history, the idea or the temptation of the entrepreneur of the self, the self over and before Christ, is nothing new. Hence, we get to Acts chapter 8. Now, just to set the context or the setting for you, in Acts chapter 7, you read of a disciple named Stephen. And all Stephen is doing is proclaiming Jesus and living for Jesus and seeking to share Jesus with everybody. And he is publicly killed. We've looked at this scene before. He's stoned, dragged out of the city, stoned to death. It's terrible. And out of this comes this great persecution on the church. This Paul guy is leading this charge. And there's this great persecution in which all the believers in Jerusalem are forced out of the city. They have to leave their homes, their neighborhoods, their jobs, the places they grew up in. They're forced out of the city. But as they're leaving, they are proclaiming Jesus. They're being driven out of their home because of Jesus, yet they're still proclaiming Jesus. One man in particular, you read about him here early on in Acts chapter 8, his name is Philip. And Philip is among them, and he leaves and arrives in Samaria. Remember Samaria, right? You got Judea there. You got the Mediterranean Sea. Judea is there on the eastern coast. Samaria is just right above that. There's a long historical, religious context and history there between the Jews and the Samaritans. But Philip goes into Samaria, and he's proclaiming, as we read in Acts 8, he's proclaiming the Christ. That Jesus of Nazarene, the Nazareth, who was crucified, buried, and resurrected, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. In a way, just like Jesus went into the heart of Samaria to talk to the woman at the well, John chapter 4. So here's Philip going in, and he's proclaiming Christ, and everyone, we're told, is focused on the message that Philip has, which is the message of Christ, the message of Jesus. We're literally told by Luke, who wrote this book, that they're in one accord, united, they are fixated on the message of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that is working in and through Philip. So this is an incredible movement. The Holy Spirit is moving. The message and miracles of Jesus are spreading. The church is growing. It's early on in the church history. It's an historical moment, such a massive moment. But then we get to verse chapter 9 of Acts 8, and this is what we read. But there was a man named Simon... This is not Simon Peter. This is a different Simon. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. Previously meaning before Philip showed up with the message of Christ. So he had previously practiced magic in the city. And he amazed the people of Samaria. 
Man, did you see his latest trick? Did you see his latest post and video? And did you see his latest comments? Did you see his latest book? Did you get his latest podcast? He amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Look at me, listen to me, follow me, I'm someone great. Verse 10, and they all paid attention to him. From the least, from the guy sitting in his basement, on the outskirts of nowhere, all the way to the greatest, even to the president. From the least to the greatest, they were fixated on him, paying attention to him. This man is the power of God that is called great. Behold this Simon, a great one. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God, a kingdom not of this world, and the name of Jesus Christ, but when they believed Philip... They were baptized. Everything changed at that moment for this culture and the community, both men and women. And even, verse 13, Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, Simon, the magician, the sorcerer, was amazed. Verse 14, so now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. The apostles were still in Jerusalem at the time. Who came down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, this other Simon, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money you neither part in this matter you don't even have a lot in this matter because your heart is not right before God repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you verse 23 because I see that you are in the gall of bitterness Down to your very core, you're trapped in bitterness. And you're trapped in the bond of iniquity. Of course, Simon says, well, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. (coughs) Simon the Great used his magic to amaze, to create, to build, to expand his platform to the point where they all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest. His magical gifts brought him greatness, attention. Clearly in the context it implies money, power. 
He was what you would call a first century influencer. And he had the culture gripped for a long time. But then Philip enters the darkness. And he proclaims the Christ. And when the message of Jesus was proclaimed, and when the power of Jesus was actually present, there came not magic, but miracles. And you see this right before verse 9. Magic is artificial. Miracles are real. So to contrast Jesus, who is at work through his spirit and all of this, to contrast Jesus and Simon the magician, at the message of magic of Simon, there came external admiration among the culture. They, they were admiring what they were seeing. They were amazed at what they were seeing. His message and his magic. But at the message and miracles of Jesus, there came an internal transformation within the culture. Something many in our culture have never seen. At the name and power and message of Jesus, there came something in their culture that was perhaps for the very first time tangible, real, not artificial, not shallow and fake and void. It was something powerful and real and eternal and infinite and life-changing. As a result, Luke tells us there right before verse 9 that there came in that culture, in that community, there came joy. Implying that before there wasn't joy, there was only external admiration. But now they had internal joy. There came not sadness or depression or anxiety or worry or hatred or division or resentment or bitterness. Joy. But then we're told about this Simon. His platform has been turned upside down by Jesus. By the message and miracles of Jesus. But we're told though he believes and is baptized. But what's really going on, as the context clearly shows, especially with Peter's words, what's really going on is the magic worker is only amazed at the miracle worker who's working signs and works of power among Simon's culture. He's like the, those who showed up in, in Pharaoh's day when, when Moses showed up and was doing all these things, God was doing all these things through them, these signs and these wonders, and there came those magicians who tried to do the same things and they did for a little while, but then all of a sudden they arrived at a point and says, man, we can't do that. This is some kind of magic we've never seen. This is Simon. He's amazed at the miracle worker, these signs and these works of power, because they're not gimmicks. They're not just shows for entertainment. They're real. They're authentic. They're driving out demons. They're changing and transforming lives. What we discover is Simon is like Judas among them, externally with Jesus, but internally with Satan. As one person said, whenever and wherever God is at work, there are not only genuine responses, but also counterfeit ones. It's as John said in John chapter 2, he said, listen, many, many people believed in Jesus' name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew all people. 
he himself knew what was in man. They believed something about Jesus. Man, he can do great signs and wonders. But internally, they hadn't quite believed in Jesus. That's a big difference. So what's really going on, and, and Peter says it very clearly, is Simon's heart is not right before God. Externally, it looks like it is, but internally, it's not. His heart is not right before God. What's really going on is Simon just cannot seem to part ways with himself. And in this context, specifically the entrepreneur of the self. Because when Peter and John showed up to investigate this movement, and listen, this is a crucial historical moment in the life of the church. This passage has a lot of great debate, you know, among different denominations and so on. But what's really going on here, this is the, one of the first cross-cultural movements of the Spirit. And you'll see it later on with Cornelius and, and so on. But this is a massive cultural shift world cosmic shift in the early history of the church. It's a very unique, precise time in history for spiritual truth and validation. In order to protect the integrity of the message and the miracles going forth through the, uh, the apostles, there had to be some kind of validation so that there would be no confusion on who God is and what he is now up to in and through his church. That this movement is different than the movements like Simon the Sorcerer. So Peter and John show up to investigate. Is this real? Is this authentic? We need to validate it if it is. And that validation was the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when this happens, Simon sees the Holy Spirit of God had come upon his culture, people he knows personally, radically changed and transformed, his community. He sees the power of God through the message and miracles of God. And what's his response? I want to buy it. Let me buy the power of God. Notice the emphasis on first person here. I and me and my. Let me buy the power of God. Give it to me so that I may have this power. So that I can give this power to anyone that I, in essence, deem fit for it. And this right here is dangerous and subtle for the Christian modern self in the Western world today. Because so many individuals, so many pastors, especially millennial ones, that's me, so many churches, so many denominations, their hearts are not right before God. Because they cannot seem to part ways with the self. Specifically, they cannot resist the entrepreneur of the self. Thus, so many have said, when they encounter the message of miracles, the power of God, let me buy it. Give it to me, so that I may own it and control it and, and give it as I see fit. So many, like Simon, foolishly believe they can actually buy the power and the gift of God. And so many, it's all done under the guise of proclaiming God's. But really, for so many in the entrepreneur of the self-spirit, it's all about creating, building, and expanding brand. Platform. Name. Recognition. It's really all about, at the heart of it, promoting self. Selling the self. 
Because what so many are really after, what they're trying to gain are followers. Not converts to Christianity, but followers. Could be the pastor, could be the church, could be the denomination. Thus, so many have become like marketing companies competing for people's attention while selling Jesus as a marketing strategy. It's as Leslie Nubigen, a Christian and sociologist, said, when numerical growth is taken as the criterion of judgment on the church, in other words, when it all only becomes about followers, then we are transported with alarming ease into the world of military campaign or the commercial sales drive. And so what ends up driving the church is not the message and miracles of Jesus, his power and presence, but rather the entrepreneur of the self. Let's buy the power of God's. Let's sell the power of God's. We can control it. We can determine who we give it to. Ultimately, what's driving this is so that the masses will look at us and listen to us and follow us. Why? Because the more we create, the more we build and expand platform via sermons and videos and posts and podcasts and lights and flashy signs and appearances and bands and music, the more the greatness and the money, the more people will know my name. And the more magical the preacher, the more magical the platform, the more magical the band, the brand, the logo, the location, the better, the richer, the greater we will be. And so in reality, the entrepreneur of the self has no interest in following Jesus or promoting Jesus. Simon could have cared less about Jesus. But only using Jesus like a marketing campaign in order to satisfy and grant the wishes of hidden motives, dreams, or agendas in order to promote and sell the self as to garner followers, attention, power, money, fame for the self. The entrepreneur of the self has no interest in proclaiming Jesus, only selling Jesus. In order to create, build, and expand platforms so that the masses might pay attention to me, to us. So that we might be the best, the biggest, the brightest. That people might look at us and proclaim us. Man, did you hear what our church is doing? Did you hear what we have? Did you hear what we get? Hey, check out our logo and our brand. Hey, go to our gift shop and, and buy this gear so that we can promote, not Jesus, but us. And listen, growing up and being a pastor for 10 years, being a millennial pastor, man, this is dangerous. And this is where Simon's at. The question is, why is he trying to buy it? Why why is he going that route? What's he thinking? Well, Peter reveals what's going on. What's going on is Simon is internally trapped in bitterness. It's an idiom that he uses there, the gall of bitterness. In other words, down to your core, you can't just stop comparing. You can't just stop being full of jealousy. Well, they got this, and they have that, and they get this, and oh, now all this, and all that, and all this. He's internally trapped in bitterness. He's resentful towards the Lord because his followers have left him. 
They were once proclaiming that he, Simon, was the power of God that is called great. Now in order to follow the real power of God, who is Jesus, who is the great one. So Simon is down to the core, resentful, full of bitterness and jealousy. Because in order to have a part and a lot and the power and the presence of God, he's been told he must give up self. He must die to self. He must deny self. And he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't like that. So again, he's externally with Jesus, but internally he's buried with Satan. In the realm of bitterness, resentment, and jealousy. And Satan has told him, and he's bought into the lie, that maybe there's a shortcut where you can buy your way to greatness and glory. You can still keep the self, promote and sell the self, but still obtain Jesus' power and presence. It's the same thing that Satan told Jesus. Come on, Jesus. You don't actually have to go to the cross and die. There's another way. You can keep the self and still obtain glory. Listen, come on, Jesus. I'll give you the nations. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. I'll give you the platform and the greatness and the power. Just give me your soul. Come on, modern self. There's a shortcut. You can buy your way to glory, to greatness. You don't have to die. No, for a certain price, you can keep the self and still obtain the power and presence of God, and it will be magical. You can even sell it for fame. All it requires is give me your soul. And thus, so many individuals, so many pastors and churches and denominations are in the deepest pit of bitterness, never full of joy, only full of comparison, what they're doing over there, arguing who's the greatest, only constantly trying to buy and sell Jesus like that marketing campaigner strategy, all the while caring only about me and I, wondering, why is it not working? Why isn't God moving? Because as Peter says here, because you can't buy it. There's not a shortcut. It's either you come to the cross or don't bother. As Leslie Newbigin goes on to say, we have to ask whether the church is most faithful in its witness to the crucified and risen Jesus and most recognizable as the community that bears about in the body the dying Jesus. When the church is chiefly concerned with its own, and he uses a big word here, self-aggrandizement. Don't worry, I had to look it up. I'll tell you what it means. It's the means, the action or process of promoting oneself as being powerful or important. What he's saying is we have to ask whether we're being faithful in our testimony and witness to Jesus, if we're actually truly living out the gospel of Jesus, when really we're chiefly concerned with what Simon was concerned with. Promoting oneself as being powerful or important. We have to wonder, are we truly following Jesus and are we satisfied and content with Jesus and him alone? Or are we really still only concerned with the self? 
promoting self, building self. And here's the scary bit about the entrepreneur of the self. It's not just bitterness that Simon is trapped in. It's not just a finite temporary thing that he's battling. But he's also trapped in iniquity. Again, Peter reveals that he's trapped in unrighteousness. He has no part. He has no lot in God. He's not involved in what's going on, and he has no future in it. That's what Peter is saying. And according to early church writings, Simon the sorcerer, this Simon, became well famous as Simon Magus. And he became the leader or a leading figure, if not the leader, of a main heresy in the life of the early church, known as Gnosticism. Because you notice he didn't repent. All he said is, please pray that nothing bad will happen to me. Simon had everything. He had nothing. He was a somebody. He was a nobody. He was a king. He was a peasant. Because he chose self over Jesus. The question is, is what will we choose? As individuals, pastors, leaders, Sunday school teachers, deacons, churches. Will we choose self or Jesus? I'll finish with this. Bruce Larson He's a pastor, author. He worked in New York for many years. He counseled men and women who were thinking of following Jesus. But he counseled them because they were thinking of following Jesus, but they were struggling to truly surrender everything, right? What Jesus would talk about, deny self. Pick up your cross, follow me. So what he would do there in New York is he would take them to the RCA building, the Rockefeller Center in New York, and he would show them the Atlas statue, this statue right here. This mythological titan in Greek mythology. His statue full of muscles. Huge, powerful. But straining to carry the world on his back. So he would show them this. And he said, this is one way you can live your life. But then near, just nearby, he would take them to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there he would show them a little boy. A little statue. Of Jesus, six to eight years old, no effort, no straining. And if you can tell in the picture, what he's holding in his hand, in one hand, is the world. And he said, That's another way. Simon the sorcerer was the Atlas statue, Simon Peter was a statue wrapped up in Jesus. He says, we have a choice. We can carry the self. We can keep doing it. We can keep trying to promote it and sell it. We can even try to use the power of God in order to promote self and sell self. 
We can carry it, thereby carrying the world on our shoulders and, and continuing to be buried in the gall of bitterness. Or we can repent and step into freedom and put the world on him. It's your choice to say, I give up, Lord. Here's my life. I give you my world, the whole world. I die, you live. It's as John the Baptist said, you know, we've talked about this before. Remember, though, his followers came to him and they said, Listen, that guy you're talking about, all, all, all of your followers are going to follow him. And John, I, I think, was battling this, the temptation here that Simon might have been battling. But John the Baptist chose Jesus, not the self. He said, ultimately, don't you recognize that I must decrease? He must increase? That, that runs counterculture. That stands in contrast to the culture's message to you. You have a choice, though. Jesus or the self? What will you choose? So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. They're going to lead us in a song, and during this song, I really just want us praying, hearts and minds getting right, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to remember who we are in Christ, what he's done for us, and his body and blood given for us. But a big part of the message of the song is, get your heart, your mind, your eyes on Jesus. So for some of us, if we're being honest, man, we're not right before the Lord right now. We've been promoting self, living for self, selling self. We've been all about the entrepreneur of the self. And so for some of us, it's repentance. It's coming back to Jesus. For some of us, it's the very first time turning from self and dying to self and being buried with Christ in baptism and raised in a new life with him. You have a choice. You can keep carrying the world on your back It's only going to crush you in the gall of bitterness, jealousy, and resentment. Where you can choose Jesus, and he'll set you free. Father, we thank you, we love you, we give you all the glory. As we worship you now, prepare our hearts and minds before you. May we choose Jesus before and above anything and everyone, including ourselves. In Christ's name I pray. As we sing, these steps are open, but you pray or sing whatever the Lord's leading you to do, but stand with us during this time.